Awesome. Good to see everybody today. Happy Easter. I hope you had a huge breakfast in bed this morning uh, to celebrate. But uh, glad you're here. Hey, I want to remind you, you heard in a moment ago that uh, if you're in middle school, high school, they're all going to wear white when they get here. Of course, they won't leave wearing white. It'll be multiple colors, but it's really a cool time. So if you happen to be in that age group, it's this Wednesday night, and uh, they would love to have you come and be a part of that. Yeah, you know, how many of you have ever ridden a carousel? Did you guys see we had a little one out there, and we've had some of these little carousel horses around. And carousels can be romantic, you know, you and your significant other, you know, just a quiet night, the beautiful music. Or maybe you wrote it when you were a kid at a fair or amusement park. I, uh, I've got a little one here that, uh, that I ordered. And, uh, you know, they're pretty cool, right? Get on a carousel. But, you know, there's something I've realized. Is it, they, all, they all just go in a circle, don't they? I mean, in other words, you, you, you don't go anywhere on a carousel. Wherever you get on the carousel is where you get off of the carousel. Now, you can change horses. You can go from the one with the flags to the one with the flowers, but you, you, you still uh, are just going in a circle. You, you can even change carousels. I, I found the most expensive carousel in the world. Let, 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 me, let me show you. <clears throat> this is in New York City. And uh, it's called the Jane Carousel. It's in a like glass uh, enclosure there. Now they refurbished that. First of all, how many of you have ever, anybody ever ridden that in New York? The Jane Carousel, right? There's a few of us that have ridden that. You know how much it cost to refurbish that? $15 million. Wow. That's a, that's a fancy dancy carousel, right? But it doesn't matter. Even if you ride the $15 million carousel, you know the truth is, it still just goes in circles. I mean, the same place you get on is the same place that you're going to get off. Well, I want to talk about that today because I think that there are probably a lot of us who, well, that would describe our life. We, we tend to sometimes just kind of go in circles. I mean, think about Easter, right? You're here this year, and maybe you were here last year, but you still hadn't lost the 10 pounds that you were hoping to lose, and you're still looking for that Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, or you still haven't started that business or got the promotion. You just, it's kind of going in circles. It's something that can happen to all of us. The scripture even talks about it. There are actually three different carousels that I want us to look at, and they're found in 1 John chapter 2. So if you want to pull out the outline that you got when you came in, and I want us to talk about how sometimes in our lives, it just doesn't seem like we're making progress. It just doesn't seem like our dream or our destiny, it, we're, not, we're not getting there. And we know there's got to be more, right? There's got to be more than what what we're presently experiencing. Here's what he says in 1 John chapter 2. For the world offers only, well, number one, a craving for physical pleasure. That's the first carousel. Secondly, a craving for everything we see. And then thirdly, pride in our achievements and possessions. So those are the three uh, carousels. If you think about it, there's pleasure, there's possessions, and then there's power. These are not from God, or these are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And I think that 
probably all of us at some time or another have found ourselves on one or maybe all of these carousels. So let's look at them a little closer. The first one he talks about is pleasure. Some translations call it the lust of the flesh. The idea here is that there is a tendency for us to look to an event or an experience to make us happy, right? It's like if I, I, I go to that event or if I go to that experience, then, then I, I'll be happy. Last weekend, Steph and I live out east, last weekend there was a big country music festival on the beach. I think it's uh, Tortuga, I think is what it's called. Was anybody there? Anybody go? I mean, I, I can't believe we've had thousands upon thousands, and I think we've had like five country music people. Now, I, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. I guess just country music fans don't go to church on Easter or something. But <laughs> anyways, I'm getting distracted. That happens late in the afternoon. But um, there were all of these people at this country music, and they were having a good time. It was huge. I mean, the, the, um, the stage, it took them two weeks to get ready for it. Well, I was out walking the dog real late as it was ending one night. And I'm telling you, people were happy. They were singing happy. They were yelling happy. They had their music up loud in their cars. They were honking horns. I'm telling you, they were happy. Now, I don't know if it's because they like country music or the liquid they had drank earlier that day, but they were really, really happy. But here's the thing. And they had to get up on Monday. And it doesn't matter whether it's because of the liquid or because they like country music. The reality is, is on Monday, they lost the happiness that they had the day before. And events tend to be that way. And there are probably many of us that have experienced this uh, carousel where it's like while you're in the event, man, while you're at the concert, while you're at the festival, it's awesome. It's great. But then the next day comes. And the next day is not building on the happiness. It's not even there anymore. All you can think about is going in a circle and coming back around to the next concert or the next weekend or the next dance or the next club or the next. And it's not that those things are evil. It's just that they don't bring consistent happiness, do they? So you're like, man, why do I just, I mean, <laughs> it's merry-go-round. It doesn't have to be. A music festival, it could be athletics. I, I used to love to play softball, and uh, especially as the t competition got better and you go uh, travel and play in these uh, tournaments and those kind of things. And sometimes it can become where you, you, you enjoy the golf, you enjoy the fishing, you enjoy the softball or the volleyball, but as soon as it's over, all the joy you had in doing is, is gone, and now your whole focus is on when you can circle back around to experiencing again. Religion is that for some people. They come to church and they feel good, they feel happy while the songs are being sung and maybe even while the scripture is being read, but when they get a flat tire on Tuesday, they're not very happy. And they can't wait to get back to church not that that's a bad thing at all, but joy, real happiness is not something that only comes around. It's something that travels with us. So there may be some of us here, and you know what that's like. You know what it's like to buy, to have happiness like on a carousel. The music is good, and the ride is fun for a while. But then you do realize, I'm just going in circles here. 
And that's actually what 1 John's talking about. But not only do you have this carousel of pleasure, the other one that I jotted down is, is possessions, right? He, he says a craving in 1 John 2, a craving for everything we see. Some translations say a lust of the eyes. This is when you and I believe that if we could, well, if we could just get the right thing, the right, the right outfit or the right piece of jewelry or the right shoes or the right car or the right house, if we could do that, then we would be happy. Then we would have respect. Then we would be important. I, I, Steph and I, before we got married, so we're talking about like 30 years ago, we went into a footlocker. And I saw something I just had to have. It was a leather jogging suit, Adidas. And I'm like, oh, man. Now, I, I looked at it. You know how you go, walked over there. I looked at the price tag. It's $500. 30 years ago, it was $500. So you can, I mean, that was a lot. And I was making like $3.50 an hour at the time. And so I didn't have any money, but I had a credit card. I bought it. Yes, right. I bought it. Now, in those 30 years, I've worn it three times because, I mean, where do you wear a leather jogging suit? You know, you can't sweat in it. That's not good. And so every time I go to my closet and, and see that, it's like a, you know, a, a statue or a symbol of my stupidity. But <laughs> the reason I, I bought it is because of what I thought it would bring me. The, the respect, you know, coolness. It, it would make me happy. And again, so many times we embrace something only to discover it doesn't last. That's why there's a whole industry that sells used cars. Well, not used, pre-owned cars. You know, why? Why is there a whole industry that sells pre-owned cars? It's because somebody bought a car that they thought would do something that it didn't do. And it's not like they gave up on cars and said, well, I'm just going to ride a horse. No, they're selling their car. Why? So that they can buy another one. Is that, it's not that that's evil. It's just that that's not fulfilling. And that's exactly what the scripture is talking about is that we get on these carousels. And you know, man, you get it. And it's the music and it's the bright colors and it's the romance of the carousel, but it just doesn't last. And then you've got to get the next pair of shoes, or you've got to get a different neighborhood, or you, 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 whatever it is. It's just this constant. And it's frustrating because you're like, again, it's got to be more. It's got to be something else than this. The third one that he mentions in Scripture is power. Some translations say the pride of life. What we read, pride in our achievements and in our possessions. This is the idea where you and I think that if we could just get the right title or the right promotion, if we could just win the right trophy, well, then we would have value, purpose. We would be happy. Let me show you one of these people. In a minute, I'll show you. All right. That's me. Okay, and my two brothers, I'm the one in the middle. This is when we were in high school or somewhere like that. Those are my trophies, by the way. They're just pretending like they're theirs. Uh, my mom made me do it. But when I won those trophies, I, I'm telling you, I was excited. I get it, and you know, I'd bring it home, and I'd put it on the table, or I'd put it on the whatever you call the deal above your fireplace, and, and you know, so if my friends walked over and said, oh, what's that? It's my trophy, of course, you know. 
Because, you know, the all-team this or the MVP that or whatever it was. And so as I was getting ready for this weekend, I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring some of those trophies. And so I called my dad and I called my mom. And guess what? Nobody knows where they're at. Because they didn't produce what, what I thought they would. And again, some of you guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? I mean, you got one promotion. And the moment you did, you realized... It, it doesn't bring the fulfillment you thought that it would. Why? Because there's another one to attain. There, there's another one to grab a hold of. There's another one to em, embrace. And so again, it's just a carousel. A carousel of one trophy after the next trophy. One promotion after the next. And is it, is it that those things are wrong or bad? No, no, no. They're just not fulfilling. Even when it comes to resources, whatever the goal is to make $100, but then you make it, and that $100 that you thought when you were, you know, 10 years old would, woo, is not woo. And then it's 100000 or a million or a bit, whatever it is, it's just a carousel. And the problem about carousels, and I put this in your outline if you look, is that we go in circles feeling these emotions, worry, fear, anxiety, pain it, because the moment you get a promotion you're like well what if I can't get the next one and 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 and, and what if what if I spent too much money and what if when I had too much to drink I, I did something crazy and, and so there's anxiety because some of the things that we do are destructive in order to try to attain this pleasure or this possession or this power I mean, some of us are working on our fifth relationship within the year. Some of us are 50th within the month. That's destructive. That's, 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 that's painful. And the only reason is because you're right is if you could just get the right guy or the right girl, then you truly would be fulfilled. You truly would be happy. You'd be like so-and-so over there. And it brings about this sense of worry or anxiety, this sense of fear. You know, as people get older, because we tend to define who we are by what we do, our value by what we do. And the problem with getting older is the older you get, the less you can do. It impacts you physically. And, and, and so what happens is, as younger people get stronger and do more, older people get weaker and do less, and both have their value tied up in what they do, and one grows insecure, and the other grows arrogant. And it just creates problems, and it creates, it's just, just a circle. The, the last one I didn't put down there is guilt. Because I think a lot of times, this carousel produces guilt. It's when you say, you know what, I'm not going to drink too much anymore. I don't like what it does to me. I don't like what it feels like the next day. And I am not, I'm not going to do it. And you're sincere. But it's just a carousel. And then you do it again. Or you say, hey, you know what, I'm not going in any more debt. And you cut up all your credit cards. But then you fill out the application the next month when the new one comes. It's just a circle. And you're like, how did I get here again? How did this card get charged that much? How did this happen again? Or you say, well, I'm not losing, I'm not losing my temper. I'm not going to talk like that to the people I love anymore. It's just not going to happen. And then you find yourself apologizing yet once again. I really mean it this time. I'll never, I'll never do it again. It's just a carousel of guilt. 
as I was getting ready for this weekend, I was reminded of an NBA basketball player you may remember. He's maybe the greatest rebounder that ever played in the NBA. His name is Dennis Rodman. He played for the Chicago Bulls, won championships. He played for the Detroit Pistons, won championship. Played for the San Antonio Spurs, a lot of other teams. But he wasn't an ordinary basketball player. He's a little different. He might have orange hair one game and pink the next and blue and purple. He had a whole lot of piercings. and Well, he married himself. Um, and, and, and then when he wrote his autobiography, he, he wore a wedding dress to the, to the promotion of the book. Well, in 2011, he went into the Hall of Fame, which is quite prestigious. And I wanted to show you just a, a small clip from the speech that he made then. Let's watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Rodman. My, uh, my wife there, Michelle, has put up with a lot of crap for me. You know, I haven't been a great father. I haven't been a great husband. And I, I just wish, I wish, you know, anyone say you have any regrets of, in your career being a basketball player, I said, I have one regret. I wish I was a better father. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, my mother, Shirley Rodman. Uh, so. I haven't been a great son to you at all in the last 10 years, and you know that. But uh, I'd like to set the record straight just for the time being, and maybe hopefully that in the future that I can actually try to be somewhat of a good, good individual and a good father to my kids, and uh, hopefully that I can love you like I used to when I was born, and uh, thank you guys. Yes. <laughs> Now, you know, when you watch that, uh, especially if you watch the whole thing, you, you can't help, you, you see sincerity in what he's saying. Now, that was in 2011. In 2012, um, authorities were called to his home for um, the spousal uh, arguments. Over 20 times the officers came uh, to his home. Eventually, in 2012, he and his wife, the one that he apologized to, were divorced. 2016, um, he got involved in a, but with the authorities over a hit-and-run accident. And multiple things have happened since then. I don't say that to rip on Dennis Rodman. I say that because I think most of us can relate. We've been where he was. I, I'll, never, I'll never hurt you again. I'll never, I'll never say those angry words again. I'll, I'll never drink too much again. I'll, I'll never click on that image again, only to do it over and over. It's a carousel. It's a merry-go-round. And as you sit here today, you know there's got to be more. There's got to be a way off, off this circle of life. Now, as we celebrate Easter in 2017, you and I are not the only ones to experience these carousels. The apostles, the boys who walked around with Jesus experienced the same thing. I put in that little box in your outline. Before the resurrection, the apostles rode the carousels, all three, pleasure, possessions, and power, hoping, because see, that's all you can do when you're on the carousel, is hope that they would bring happiness, self-worth, and purpose. 
right? As you're walk, riding around on the carousel, you are hoping, you are wishing that somehow the next purchase will bring happiness or the next relationship will bring joy or the next promotion will bring respect and value and worth. It's exactly what the apostles did. They discovered the same thing we do doesn't provide that. Instead, it provides hurt, and it provides guilt, and it provides pain and anxiety and worry. And it got so bad for the apostles that after the crucifixion, when what they thought was going to happen didn't happen, they gave up even all hope. They locked themselves behind uh, closed doors in fear that they'll be killed next. And you know what they talked about behind those closed doors? Going back to their old jobs. See, because what they had determined is that, you know what, carousel's not so bad after all. I'll just settle for the, for the carousel. After all, it's pretty colors and it, it, it's nice music. Maybe there isn't any more. You ever been tempted to do that? Maybe there's not a, a good relationship out there. At least I have somebody. Maybe I'll never get that promotion. At least I have a job. We settle for less than what somewhere deep inside of our heart we know that there really has to be more. As I told you, when Steph and I were married, we got married young. It didn't, didn't seem young at the time, but now it seems crazily young. Steph was 20 and I was 22. And we were going on our honeymoon to Myrtle Beach. And uh, Steph's dad, well, remember, this is before cell phones, okay? And so the only way to get from one place to another was to read a map. And it wasn't Google or Apple. It was Rand, all right? You, it was on paper in a book, and you had to open it and look at it. And Steph's dad, I, I guess, didn't think that I could read it. And so he would call every so often and ask where we were. Of course, we did get lost along the way, but that's beside the point. We did make it to Myrtle Beach, and we got there in the middle of the night. Now, I had made reservations at, you know, the nicest hotel we could afford at the time and was very excited about getting there, but we couldn't find it. We drove up and down, you know, uh, A1A looking for this uh, hotel and eventually after about 45 minutes of driving one end of, you know, the, where all the stuff has happened and turn around driving to the other, then driving back, looking on both sides of the road, Steph called. She's like, where are you at? And they gave, you know, directions and we did it again. We ended up calling them like four or five times trying to find this hotel. It was almost three hours after we drove, you know, all the way there, just back and forth looking for this hotel. And eventually Steph looks over at me and she says, you know what, I, I think we have to go somewhere else. And so we did. We settled. Rather than go where we had reservations, we settled for the Blue Dolphin Inn. <clears throat> and I just want to tell you, if you ever go to Myrtle Beach, do not stay at the Blue Dolphin Inn, Okay. It's not anything to write home about. It was much less, because by this time, of course, we didn't have even less money. It's much less than the place where I made reservations. And we're all tempted at times to settle. To, maybe this is all that there is. Maybe there's no way to step off of this carousel. Maybe the weekend is all that I'll ever be able to experience. Maybe... Maybe this is all there is. That's exactly where the apostles were. And then it happened. Then Easter happened, right? 
I mean, Easter makes all the difference. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 28. Now, it's found in all the Gospels, but let's just read this one real quick. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene, along with the other Mary, went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat upon it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. And if you would, read these next three words out loud with me, would you? He is, come on, one more time. He, he is risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. And it is the resurrection that changed everything for the apostles and for you and I. And that's why we're here today. Look at, look at what I put in the little box. Easter changed everything. Why? Because rather than going in circles, hoping for happiness, self-worth, and purpose, now they had faith. See, because when you're on the carousel, that's all you can do is hope. It's wish. Wish the next purchase, wish that the next promotion, you know, wish that the next event or the next concert, that the joy will last, that the happiness will be real. It's just wishing. But after the resurrection, they no longer had just hope, they had faith. You say, well, what is the difference between hope and faith? Well, the scripture says in Hebrews 11:1 1, that faith is the confidence. Faith is knowing that what we hope for that what we wish for will actually happen. See, here's what happened in the lives of the apostles. They were transformed. They went, remember Peter? When Peter was asked whether or not he knew Jesus, what did Peter do? <laughs> no, I don't know him. He got me confused with the other Peter, you know? I'm the one that doesn't know Jesus. And it says he denied him three times. When they came and arrested Jesus, what did the apostles do? They ran because all they had was hope. They were just wishing. They're on the carousel, and it wasn't happening. But after, after the resurrection, they were transformed because it became real. See, one of the greatest evidences for this transformed life is the change in the apostles. They go from being afraid they go from running, they go from hiding, to being courageous, bold, standing in front of men who could arrest them, torture them, and have them killed, and tell them something they don't want to hear, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Let me give you an example, one found in Acts chapter 4. Look at what it says. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said, because what's happening is that Peter and John, they healed a, a crippled guy. And they were like, well, what, who gave you the authority to do that? And they called him in. And they were in trouble with the religious leaders and the governmental leaders because they were the same folks. The rulers of elders, so Peter stood before him, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state, that's confidence. This is the same Peter that said, I don't know him, never heard of him, got me confused with somebody else. 
And now he stands not before, that was just a young girl that was asking him. Now he stands before people with real power and he says, let me make sure you know. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And then he gets even further. He says, the man you crucified. And why do I have this confidence? Why do I have this boldness? Because it's that same man that God raised from the dead. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. How did they respond? Well, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. These men not only transformed their lives, they transformed the world. It's 2,000 years later, we're still talking about them. They eventually were tortured. The majority of them died pretty horrific lives, uh, pretty horrific deaths. You know why? Because they were unwilling to do life on the carousel anymore. And the reason they were unwilling to continue to walk in circles hoping that the next trip around would really lead to what they were looking for is because after the resurrection, they knew that there was the opportunity for real happiness and real joy and real purpose and real destiny. They, they knew it was real. And you say, well, and that, again, is one of the greatest evidence because, again, think about it now. These scaredy cats become bold lions, even to the point of dying for a lie. You say, well, Troy, people die for lies all the time. Well, that's true, but they believe them to be true. In other words, there are people who die thinking that something is true that you and I know is not true, but they believe it to be true. They don't know that it's not wrong. Well, these men, all of these men, not one of them stepped back upon the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. All of these men died uh, very difficult circumstances, were tortured. And if anyone would have known it was a lie, it would have been them. They would have been the ones who hid the body. I mean, you can look at, look at it historically. They would have been the ones who hid the body. They would have been the ones who have known the real story. So you're telling me that all of them, that not one of them got nervous at the end and said, well, it's really not true. We hid the, all of them were willing to die for what they knew was a lie. I don't believe that. So well, maybe it was, you know, they got power. They were important, political. Well, that, that's not true either. They were all Jews. The moment they stood up and said that Jesus is not dead, he's alive, they were kicked out of the synagogue. They were mocked, laughed at, beaten, imprisoned, and eventually killed. The only explanation, or at least the best explanation, for the transformation is that the one who had died was now alive. And they knew it. And that knowledge is what got them off the carousel. And that's why we're here today. It's because that same power that brought Jesus out of the grave is available to us. We don't have to do life on the carousel. We don't have to do uh, all, wish all of our life that there was something more. 
We don't have to go out and get into a million relationships hoping that maybe one of them will bring us joy or thinking that the next promotion will be when I really finally find fulfillment. No, because Easter is real and the reality of the resurrection. and, And what do we know? Well, I put it in your outline. First of all, we know real happiness. That's the joy of Easter, real happiness. Not religious happiness that only happens in church. Not sex happiness that only happens while you're having sex or concert happiness. No, no, real happiness. Happiness in the times of difficulty and in the times when things are going right. Real happiness is available. Why? Because Jesus really came out of the grave. He is alive. And that power transformed them and it can transform us. Not to keep walking in circles. I love what Paul said. Remember Paul, he had been beaten. He had been left for dead. He had been shipwrecked. He went through all these things. Look what it says. Paul says, always be full of joy. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul understood how to have real happiness, not based on his circumstances. That's what Easter's about. Why do you keep going in circles? Why is the biggest thing in your life the next concert, the next raise, the next opportunity to escape, the next vacation? You're miserable now, but you'll be happy for those six days. And that's the way it's been for the last decade. When there's such an opportunity to have real happiness, to have real value. That's what transformed the apostles. They had real value. Like I told you, I bought this on Amazon. Now, How do you know the value of something? Well, the way you know the value of something depends on what people are willing to pay for it. Like if you were willing to pay $10,000 for this carousel, the value would be what? $10,000. I'd be glad to sell it to you for $10,000. I'll sell it to you for $9,999, all right? If you paid 50 cents for it, what would be the value of this carousel? 50 cents. You determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. Well, the same is true for you and I. Look what Peter said in chapter 1. He says, your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. And then here's the value statement, okay? It cost God plenty to get you and me out of the dead-end, empty-headed life we grew up in, to get us off the carousel. It cost him plenty. Now think about that. It cost who plenty? God, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere. It's kind of like this. If someone says, hey, you know, so-and-so is going to buy that widget over there. Bill Gates is going to buy it, and in order to afford it, he's going to have to dig deep into his pockets. Now you compare that to saying, you know what, Troy's going to buy that widget over there, and in order to do it, he's going to have to dig deep into his pockets. Well, which one is more money? Well, Bill Gates, of course, right? He's got billions of dollars. So if Bill Gates is digging deep into his pockets to pay for something, you know what that means? It costs a lot. It has great value that he's willing to pay for it. This scripture says... That the God who spoke the world into existence, that the God who rose from the dead digs deep into his pockets to redeem you, to pay for you. What was that price? Well, for God so loved the world, he did what? Gave his one and only son. 
That's your value, sir. That's your value, ma'am. That's how much God loves you. So it really doesn't matter what someone else has to say about you. The creator of the world dug deep into his pockets in order to redeem you. And when the apostles woke up to the realization that there is real self-worth, real value, it transformed them. They got off that carousel. There's real happiness. And there's real value. And then there's real power. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. That's quite a bit of power. I can do all things. Paul went on to say, when I'm weak, he is strong. See, because the reality is, is that our power is limited. Right? I mean, you can have a certain amount of money that gives you power, but, well, that money can be lost. You can have physical strength, but your health can be taken see Paul says when I am weak even when I am weak even when it you know I've lost my physical strength or my bank accounts not what it used to be even when I'm weak I am strong why <laughs> because he came out of the grave it's, it's kind of like this when you were a kid at least for me it was when I was a kid I was as strong as my dad I don't mean I was as strong as my dad. What I mean was I was as strong as my dad. See, I, I grew up in, a, um, in the rough part of Paragold, Arkansas, a town of 15,000 people. I'm a tough guy. And, um, well, I, I just got beat up a lot, okay? And, and, and I didn't like that. So if these certain people would come over to, you know, our neighborhood, our house or whatever, I, mom would call my dad, and my dad would zoom up in our family station wagon. And the moment he would zoom up, I would feel strong. I would feel confident. Why? Because my dad had promised to act upon his son to step out. And so, so I wasn't going to beat up my little 10-year-old neighbor in my strength. My dad was going to take care of that. He, he was going to defend me. You understand? It changed the strength I felt. I felt like a weakling when I was getting beat up. But when my dad, who was a big man, drove into the parking lot, I felt confident. I felt courageous. And that is exactly what Paul says. And that is exactly what the apostles experienced. A real power. I can do all things. It doesn't matter what direction the economy goes. It doesn't matter what my supervisor thinks. I was created on purpose to do something of significance. And I am strong. Greater is he that is in me, the word says, than he that is in the world. See, that's the importance of Easter. It's not just a fairy tale that we tell this time of the year. It's a way off of the carousel or the merry-go-round. And so I guess my only question as we end our time together is to ask you, 2017, are you going to keep going in circles? Next year will be another time around. You'll still be discouraged. You'll still be looking for the right relationship. You'll still be hoping for some kind of financial breakthrough. You'll still be looking for real happiness, real power, real purpose, real destiny. I, I, again, I, I like what Paul said in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. See, Easter provides a way off the carousel. 
But in order to experience it, well, in Ephesians 2, it says it like this. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. What is sin? What's it mean to sin? What is a sin? It's to miss the bullseye of perfection. So if you're not perfect, then you're a sinner, just like me. And the scripture says we've all been on that carousel. We, and, I, and I like at the end of verse 3, it says, And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We were all going in circles, looking for some way in which to find happiness and joy and purpose and self-worth and peace. But of course, it hasn't worked. It says, but God... And this is a value statement. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, God saved you by his grace. In other words, giving us something we do not deserve. When you, what's that next word? Believed. When you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from him. Mark was just straight on about it. He says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. The word is believed. That's how we get off the carousel, belief. Now, the word believe doesn't mean to give a mental assent to. A lot of people think that it does. In other words, there are a lot of folks going in circles saying, why in the world am I going in circles? I believe there's a God. I mean, I believe that, you know, I don't know all of it, but I believe there's a God and, you know, the resurrection, all that. I, I believe that stuff. I went to, you know, church when I was little and even as an adult. But that's not what the word believe means. The scripture downplays that kind of stuff. It says even the, our enemy, even, even the, the, the devil believes there's a God. The word believe, as you've been here before, hung out, is the word pistu. It's a Greek word that, that means to put all your faith upon. See, some of us believe there's a God, much like I believe there's a stool. Right? I believe there's a stool. But just because I believe there's a stool doesn't mean I'm trusting in, resting in, putting my weight on that stool and therefore I'm not what I'm not sitting down see I can believe there's a stool and I can still get tired just like you can believe there's a God and still be on the carousel the only way to get off the carousel is the same way in which I must get off my feet is that you have to sit down in Christ that's what belief means it means that I'm not looking for my joy in the next event I'm not looking for happiness in the next relationship. All those things can add to and are, can be incredible aspects of my life, but that's not where I'm looking for them. I'm looking for them in where Christ says I can follow them, find them in him because he resurrected from the dead. I'm not looking for power and some promotion or some trophy or some title. I'm looking for it in him because he's the one that rose from the dead. That's what this means, to sit down in Christ. So if you're here, I mean, it is Easter, and you want to get off the carousel, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to make this the Easter when you stop, you stop getting frustrated. (laughs) Because you know there's more. You know there is. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. Because it takes courage to respond. What God asks us to do is not difficult. Believe. I mean, sit down in a chair is not difficult to sit down on, in that, on that stool. Physically, I can do it very easily. Well, you know what's hard is I have to believe it will hold me up. 
Trusting Christ is easy. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's easy to do. But what it means is you have to put all your weight upon him. That's the hard part. That's what faith, confidence, I know. And so I want to pray for us. And at the end of this prayer, we're going to stand. We're going to sing one last song. And at the end of the song, um, I'm not going to do anything weird or crazy. I'm just going to pray for those of you who come. If you're here and you're ready, whether you're there in the balcony, maybe you're over in the student building or the tent, wherever you're at on this campus, if God's nudged your heart, I mean, he found you wherever you're sitting, and he's kind of been tapping you on the shoulder. And he said, that's why I wanted you to come today, because I wanted you to not have to wonder. I wanted you to find real happiness and real purpose. And I'm just going to invite you at the end of my prayer to join me at the front. And at the end of the worship song, we'll pray together. It takes courage to do that, I understand. So would you bow your head? Father, I pray that in this moment, the enemy would be defeated. And God, I pray we would all, we've all been on the carousel. We've all gone in circles at different times in our lives. We want to experience real happiness, real joy, real peace, real relationships. God, we, we want it to be real. And the reality of the resurrection gives us the pathway to freedom. So as soon as I say amen, don't, don't, don't wait to see what someone else is going to do. It's between you and God. As soon as your legs start to straighten, I mean, just step out. Make a decision right now that you're going to trust him. You don't understand it all. Maybe this is your first time here. That's okay. Like I said, we're not going to do anything crazy. We're just going to pray at the end of this song. But God says that it's through a believing prayer that transformation is possible. Ultimately, it's up to you. God, I pray for victory in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's worship. And let's respond.